Follow along as I read to you from Psalm 32, which is a masculine of David. A masculine is a word that sounds like the word, the Hebrew word for instruction. So many scholars believe that these psalms that are called masculines are psalms of instruction. So let's hear what the Lord wants to instruct us in this morning. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at, at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, even now we ask that by your spirit you would come and instruct us, teach us, give us hearts that are not stubborn and willful and uh, proud. You have said that you oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. And we need grace. So we ask that you would humble our hearts. Help us not to be like a horse or mule that, that has to be tugged and pulled. And uh, help us to be ones with tender hearts who long to stay near you um, because you have chosen to come near to us. We ask that you would do that in us this morning as we sit under your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So David Stanley was a young man who uh, was, uh, I was his youth pastor 25 years ago. And David and his wife Karen have several children, one of whom is named Avery. And this week on Facebook, I saw a picture posted by Karen, Avery's mom, and it was this picture of this little whiteboard that she left on mom and dad's bed. And as you can see, it says, I love you, mom and dad. I am sorry. Love, Avery. Now, if that's not the shortest and sweetest prayer of repentance you've ever heard, um, David was a little more wordy in Psalm 32, but uh, 
I think what Avery has to say is a lot like what David says. This is what Avery's mom said about this picture. She said, God continues to teach me through my children. Tonight, we got this note on our bed. I wasn't exactly sure what it was referring to specifically, so I asked Avery as I was putting her to bed. And she said she was sorry for not listening well earlier this evening. Now, that's a tender heart. She was sorry for not listening well earlier this evening. And Karen said, when I forgave her, uh, when I told her that I forgave her and that I loved her very much, she threw her arms around me and hugged me tight. Can you just imagine for a moment with me the sheer joy and the comfort and the peace and the rest that little Avery was experiencing in that moment. That moment when she came out of her guilt, which weighed heavy on her, that she had not listened well to her mommy and daddy. She came and she confessed that to them. And when she received forgiveness and love from her mom, she responded with joy, grabbed her mom tight, and hugged her. Just think. Think about little Avery's heart. Think about the joy. And think about how that night, as she was falling asleep, she was probably thinking to herself, I'm so glad my mommy loves me. Even though I don't deserve it, my mommy and daddy love me. And they forgive me. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered. Blessed is the one against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. There is gladness on the other side of your guilt. At the end of the psalm, David says, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. That's that loving embrace that Avery experienced from her mommy. Steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord enough to come and confess their guilt. So little Avery has illustrated for us the message of Psalm 32. There is gladness that waits for us on the other side of our guilt. And it's the truest and sweetest of all gladness. It's the gladness that is only found in the embrace of the God of forgiving love. Now, think for a minute. Notice what happened in Avery. Though though she had sinned against her parents by not listening well to them, she's now expressing a different attitude, a new attitude. Something has happened in Avery's heart, and it shows in her, first of all, her new attitude toward her parents. Listen to the love she has for them. She begins and ends her letter of apology with love them. I love you, Mom and Dad. Love Avery. True repentance recognizes that there's been a violation of love. True repentance recognizes that there's been a violation of relationship. Not listening to her parents was not loving her parents. But she loves them, and she wants to restore 
her relationship with her. So she had a, a new attitude toward her parents, but she also had a new attitude toward her disobedience. At the time when she chose not to listen to her parents, she thought that not listening to her parents was good and felt good. That it was the right way to go, the right thing to do. But now she's acknowledging that not listening to her parents was not loving them, nor was it good for her. She was weighed down by the guilt of her lack of love for her parents. She now knows that listening well was how she was made to live in a loving relationship with her parents. So she has a new attitude toward her parents, toward her disobedience, but also toward herself. When she said, I am sorry, that's Avery's admission that she's guilty. She's She's saying, I'm, I'm in the wrong. I'm guilty of not listening to you because I'm guilty of not loving you. But this apology was also an admission of her need, her need to be in right relationship with her mom and dad. I need, mommy and daddy, my relationship with you to be right because that's what will give me gladness. So, Avery wanted to be restored to unhindered relationship with her parents. And she trusted that that love would be there if she confessed her sin. But in order to get to the gladness of enjoying a restored embrace of love from her parents, she had to walk a certain path to get there. She had to walk the path of acknowledging her guilt, of uncovering her sin before them, and of confessing it to them. And her mom forgave her remove the guilt that weighed on her heart so that Avery could again enjoy the embrace of loving fellowship with her mom and dad again. The Holy Spirit that created that grace of repentance in Avery is the Holy Spirit that created the grace of repentance in David that enabled him to write Psalm 32. Last summer, we looked at Psalm 51, when David, which is David's repentant prayer, uh, where he confesses his sin in adultery with Bathsheba and murdering Bathsheba's husband to cover it all up. Um, most scholars believe that David spent nine months to a year in silence before he finally was confronted by the prophet Nathan and confessed his sin and then was offered the forgiveness of God. So now in Psalm 32, this is David reflecting back on that time, reflecting on the fruit that grew from the tears of grief he planted over his sin. And so the grace of repentance in the life of David produced in David a new attitude toward God, a new attitude toward his sin, and a new attitude toward himself. This is what it looks like when a guilty heart trusts its forgiving God. First, it's clear in Psalm 32 that David had a new attitude toward God. David recognized that everything centers around God and not David. So now David believes that he is first and foremost responsible to God, accountable to God. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, he says. In verse 6, he says, Let everyone who is godly offer this prayer of repentance to you. 
It's you first, God, not me first. But if we dig a little deeper, what else did David learn about God and recognize about God? David learned that his sin, um, that in his sin, he was trying to be glad in something other than God. David admitted that his sin was keeping him from what would make him most glad, and that is unhindered, pure, sweet fellowship with the God who made him. So that's why in verse 10 and 11, verse 10, as we read earlier, he says, many are the sorrows of the wicked. Those who won't trust and turn to God will multiply their sorrows. But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. That's the kind of gladness that will make him most glad. Verse 11, be glad in the Lord, David said. So David was admitting that his sin was keeping him from being glad in God. He was selling himself to lesser gladnesses. As uh, C.S. Lewis once said, we tend to settle for making mud pies in a slum when we've been offered a vacation at the beach. David had believed that the gladness in his adultery with Bathsheba was more to be desired and trusted than his gladness in God. But now, David believed that happiness in God was more to be desired than happiness apart from God. Another sign that David's attitude toward God has changed uh, was that David had also come to believe that God is the only one who can forgive his sin, cover his sin, and not count his sin against him. Look in verse 1, he says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Forgiven means to lift up and off the guilt of sin off of someone. David had come come to believe that God was the only one who could lift his guilt from him. In verse 1, he also says, blessed is the one whose sin is covered. That means that it's concealed from the sight of God's righteous judgment. David had come to believe that God is the only one who can cover his guilt. That doesn't mean that it's it's still there, but it's covered over. No, it, it means it's been removed and lifted up. It's been forgiven, but now it is covered from the sight of God's judging eyes. He's no longer under condemnation. And then he came to believe that God is the only one who can count him as having no sin. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. David has been declared righteous before God. And so, The question I have is, why is God the only one who can forgive sin or cover sin or count us or David righteous before him? The only place that the New Testament quotes Psalm 32 is in Romans 4. Listen to what Paul says when he quotes Psalm 32. He's trying to, to make a point, and he uses Psalm 32 to help him make his point. Paul says, for if Abraham was justified or declared righteous by, his, by works, then Abraham has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? And he's referring to Genesis 15, and he quotes it. 
Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, Paul says, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks in Psalm 32, of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And then he quotes Psalm 32, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against, the Lord, against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So David knows that there's nothing he can do. There's no work he can do. There's no payment he can make to reconcile himself to God. No amount of good works will make up for his sin. David knows that if he and God are going to be reconciled, God will have to do that work. And the good news is that God is willing to do that work. God wants to do what it takes to restore relationship with sinful people. And David knew this and began to trust this good news. So David said in verse 4, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Now, that doesn't sound like good news. Day and night, God's hand was heavy on him so that he was physically drained by whatever it was God was causing in his life. That doesn't sound like a God who wants to forgive sin. It sounds more like a God who wants to smash me. (laughs) But that's not how David understands it. David's saying this in a very positive light. What David is recognizing is that God was pursuing him. God was pursuing David in that nine months to a year when he kept silent and wouldn't confess his sin. He was pressing him down until he was all the way down on his face before God and ready to be humble and repent. So the good news is that God wants to forgive. God wants to cleanse. And so he pursues you. Folks, if you're being pursued by God right now because of some sin or guilt that you have not confessed, then that's a good sign that God loves you and he wants to forgive you. It may feel like he's out to get you, and he is, but not out to get you to destroy you. He's out to get you, to bring you home. That's good news. But God wants to be restored to sinners. And in verse 5, there's even more good news. He said that when he acknowledged his sin and confessed his sin to God, God forgave him. God is not only, God not only wants to be restored to sinners, he's willing to do what it takes to do it. He's willing to to forgive them if they will confess their sin to him. And so, David had a renewed, new attitude toward God. And because he had this renewed attitude toward God and this fresh trust in the good news and gracious heart of God, then David had a new attitude toward his sin. Let me just stop right here and say, Paul said it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Um, 
you will likely not come and confess your guilt, whatever guilt you have, to God if you think that all God's going to do is crush you. Well, I would run away too. You're not going to go to your mommy and daddy and confess something if you think that all they're going to do is crush you. But if you know that your Father in Heaven is this kind of God who wants to restore you and is willing to do what it takes to do it, you will have a new attitude towards your sin. And that's what happened to David. David uses three Hebrew words to capture the essence of sin. Not, not any one of them is the only way. All three of these things are true whenever we sin. Transgression is rebellion against God. It's crossing a line in a rebellious way against God. Sin, when David uses that word, is a different word, and it means to miss the mark. As Paul says, to fall short of the glory of God. It means to stray off the path that God has laid out in his law. Iniquity goes even deeper. Iniquity is a word that means uh, that our sinful actions come from a crooked, twisted heart. So there's an internal crookedness, twistedness that has taken place. So, no matter how big or small the sin, all of these are happening when we sin against God. We're rebelling against Him. We're deliberately missing the mark of why we were made and straying from His revealed purpose for us. All because our hearts have been twisted into me-first hearts that are bent away from God and curved in on ourselves. That's what David recognized about his sin. Um, psalm 32 was St. Augustine's favorite psalm. In fact, he had his friends write the psalm on the wall next to his bed in A.D. 430 when he was dying. So that as he was dying, he could read and meditate on the good news of Psalm 32. Because, as Augustine said, the beginning of knowledge is to know oneself to be a sinner. And that's where David was. And then, this knowledge of God and and knowledge of his sin led David to have a new attitude toward himself, a new understanding of himself. He discovered that his sin was not helping him be glad. It was hindering him from true gladness. He discovered that um, he could pray like Avery and that that path would, would involve some painful steps, acknowledging his sin, uncovering his sin before God and confessing, saying to God what God says about his sin. David learned that the aim of the pursuit of true happiness is to live in the embrace of God's steadfast love and to find one's greatest joy in him and that that only comes through repentant prayer. So now the question comes to us this morning, to you and to me. Do we have hearts like Avery's heart? Do we have hearts like David's heart? Do you have a heart that has recognized that true gladness, true blessedness, comes only from being in sweet, unhindered fellowship with God? Do you have a heart that has recognized its rebellion against God 
that has recognized its refusal to walk with God in the path that God has put before us, that recognizes that all of that sin, every active sin of my thoughts, my words, my hands, my desires, all of that comes from a heart that has been bent away from God and only to myself. Do you have a heart that is willing to pray and humbly confess all of these things and to trust that God can and wants to and will forgive and restore us to himself? Do you know that because of Jesus, gladness is waiting on the other side of your confession of guilt? I tend to forget this a lot, and that makes me allergic to repentance. I don't want to because I forget what's on the other side of my guilt. I was thinking this week as I thought of this that this sermon might come to some folks um, as, eh, yeah, God forgives, you know. Tell me something else. Um, because sometimes our hearts forget how sweet forgiveness is. Sometimes our hearts forget that forgiveness is only a means to another end. John Piper talks about um, having made his wife angry one morning. Um, so she went in the kitchen and started cleaning up and doing things, and he came into the kitchen, and uh, she was standing there at the sink with uh, her back to him, and he said it was not just a normal back to me, it was a cold shoulder. He knew that she was not uh, acknowledging him, and he recognized that he needed to ask for forgiveness for what he had said earlier upstairs that made her so upset. And so he did, and after he did and she forgave him, they embraced. And he says this, it's not about forgiveness, it's about the hug. Forgiveness is a means to an end. Forgiveness of sin is the means to the embrace of the love of the one who gave himself for you. So, if you're like me, try not to be allergic to repentance. <laughs> and remember that on the other side of your confession is the sweetness of that embrace that little Avery enjoyed with her mommy. But some of us don't think we need the forgiveness and don't really think we want the hug that Jesus offers us. And there are others of you who I know are tender-hearted like Avery, like David, and you long for God to take away your guilt. Let me tell you that Jesus is willing and waiting for you to come so that he can take it away. When that leper came to Jesus 
in Mark chapter 1 and said to Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. And instead of the leprosy transferring to Jesus and making Jesus unclean, the purity and health of Jesus transferred to the leper and made him clean. That's what Jesus offers to you if you will come to him and say, if you're willing, if you're willing, make me clean because I am so dirty. I am rotten. Whenever we take communion and whenever we baptize someone, hear God whisper in your ear. Hear Jesus whisper in your ear. When you see communion and when you see this baptism today, hear Jesus whisper in your ear, I am willing. Be clean. Father, would you help us to trust your heart, to trust that uh, you are willing to make us clean and that even that heavy hand of yours that we feel on us is not to crush us, but to draw us to our knees so that we would finally quit running away and confess our guilt to you and enjoy your forgiveness and your embrace again. So I pray for me, for my brothers and sisters, that you would do that. Draw us to yourself because your heart is good. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.